to Internet Marketing for Humans, digestible internet marketing insight and advice to help you grow your business. Hello, welcome back to Internet Marketing for Humans. I'm your host, Andrew Laws, and I have a guest with me today, somebody I think is very, very interesting. We bumped into each other virtually in a networking group, and I seem to be introducing several podcast episodes that way recently. But the reason I wanted to speak to this guest is he focuses on an area that's very pertinent to marketing, not just digital marketing. It's, it's kind of pertinent just to running a business, I think. I'll tell you what, before I start trying to explain what my guest does, I will ask him to introduce himself. So, Mark, would you like to do the honours? Yes, thanks, Andrew. Uh, my name is Mark Gracie. Uh, my business is called Mark Gracie GDPR. It um, pretty much does what it says on the tin. I, I support businesses with their GDPR and privacy compliance. Okay, so how did GDPR come about? I can't imagine anybody listening to this hasn't heard of GDPR, but I think it'd be quite interesting just to talk about how it became a thing and, and how it well, how it was born. Well, G- GDPR... Um, well, we have UK GDPR now um, since Brexit, but uh, GDPR, which UK GDPR is based on, is a European regulation that came into force uh, in 2018. It was actually published in 2016, um, and uh, it was an update to existing data protection rules, um, which go back to the data protection directive um, in the uh, 90s. In the UK, we had the Data Protection Act 1998, which was based on that. So, um, it's basically a 20-year a, a um, review of um, GDPR compliance, or sorry, data protection compliance, um, based on what we've had for, well, since um, the late 90s in, in the UK. Um, and it's all about the protection of um, any data that you can identify somebody from and, and associated bits of data as well. So we're already into something interesting because a lot of the conversations I had around GDPR with my clients is they were under the assumption this was something new. And the protection of personal information is absolutely absolutely not a new thing. GDPR was just a, in my opinion, it's just it, it was a long time coming, but it was just a, a fairly natural kind of transition of privacy that to take into account internet stuff. Am I right or am I wrong? Am I simple? Um, no, it, it is an update to um, reflect the way that uh, more and more data is now um, being processed. Um, more people are online, so more pe- more online data is, is available. And whilst data protection does apply to paper records, it, it um, applies most um, likely for most businesses in, in a digital world. Um, and uh, yeah, I had lots of conversations with people saying, oh, so I can't do that now. And I'm saying, well, you shouldn't have been doing that for the last 20 years, let alone going forward. So I think I think there's a, a, a um, I'm sure there's some kind of curve um, that demonstrates it, but there's a lifetime, a lifespan of a, of a regulation. Um, and um, I think it was probably about that time that uh, people had almost forgotten that they needed to worry about data protection because unless they had interactions with the information commissioner, the the regulator in the UK, they probably didn't reflect on it um, very much. Um, And then all of a sudden GDPR is here and everybody's going, are you ready for GDPR? You can't do this anymore. You've got to do this. And there's a big thing around consent, which from a marketing point of view is is quite pivotal from from a privacy regulation perspective as to whether you do or don't need consent for marketing. Um, So I think it just became back on people's radars. So, um, yeah, so I think, you know, whether in 20 years time, the same effect will happen and then and then 
um, it will then introduce another piece of legislation and, um, and everybody thinks it's new again, I don't know. But uh, it's certainly not new. And in fact, data protection goes back further than the 1998 Act. We had a 1984 Act as well. Um, but the, the sort of the modern version, which GDPR builds on, is, is by no means uh, something new. It's, it's something that's been around for a while. Absolutely. And the the, the shift in permissions or, or kind of the clarity in permissions is something that a lot of people, a lot of my peers really celebrated because even ignoring privacy for a moment and the kind of the sanctity of, of people's private information, which is, a you know, I, it's kind of a, a basic human right and anonymity. Um, marketing to people who don't want to be marketed to and who haven't heard of you was never a good idea anyway. I mean, even outside of law constraints, if you're pestering someone with a message and they ne will never buy from you, you're wasting effort. You're, you're wasting your time. Um, so that that's two preconceptions. I think we've smashed, or you've smashed pretty nicely there already, Mark. So the third one is that GDPR was viewed by a lot of people a couple of years ago as a thing to do and then put back in the box and put back under the bed. And it's my opinion, hopefully based on some fact, that that's absolutely not the case. It's not a checkbox exercise and away you go. Uh, yeah, absolutely. It's not a checkbox exercise. Um, at the time, uh, around the, the sort of lead up to the May 2018 deadline for it coming into force, there was you know a lot of chatter of people saying, well, you know, this is just going to be one of those uh, um, one of those things that everybody rushes to do, and then they move on to some something else, um, uh, like the Millennium Bug, for example. In fact, the, the Information Commissioner even blogged about the fact that this isn't like the Millennium Bug. You don't worry about it just now; you worry about it all of the time. And you know, if you talk to data protection officers in large businesses where they process large amounts of data, you know. They are employed full time to look after data protection compliance on a day by day basis. And whilst that may not be expected for every size um, of business, it is something that has to be there um, within an organization all of the time whenever you're processing data. Um, and in fact, that there are certain elements of GDPR that actually reflect on the fact that you need to keep this under review. So you have an obligation to be. GDPR compliant, as it were, but you also have an obligation to make sure that you're still GDPR compliant. And if you, even if you just review once a year and look at what you're doing now, and you need and look to see whether it still applies um, and things are still up to date, because you know businesses are changing, particularly because of the pandemic recently. Um, businesses have, have sort of shifted in their approach or the way they do things. They might be collecting data that they didn't before. So are they reviewing and looking to see that they're still doing the right thing and what they were doing before is still up to date? And um, there is so much involved in being GDPR compliant that there's actually quite a lot to review. So you're absolutely right. There is no, um, there is no sort of, uh, well, there are some boxes you can tick to make sure that you're doing the right thing, but you should be reflecting on those on a regular basis and at least reviewing your, your compliance once a year. Um, but there are businesses out there that, you know, take this really seriously and they want to be sure that they can demonstrate to their customers that they're doing the right thing. And uh, um, and so they are doing it, you know, as regularly as they possibly can. Yeah, I think it, it's quite important. And I've hinted a couple of times that, that how GDPR runs in parallel with good marketing practice, but it's also just good, good business practice. There's a phrase we use um, in my own company quite a lot when we talk about things and we talk about, 
doing good stuff. You know, if you look at something you're going to do with marketing or, or anything in the business, even outside of ethics, are you doing good stuff? And GDPR just backs that up so well. I'd like to think, and I'm not talking about any of my clients, of course, but I'd like to think there are organisations where where people higher up in an organisation were fighting to carry on using dirty data, so your huge mind database of millions of contacts, and GDPR forced their hand so they could no longer do that. I mean, another misconception was that GDPR was going to kill spam. And um, I'm sort of wandering into my own my own ignorance perhaps a bit here, but I never saw it as something like that because spammers operate outside of the law anyway or outside of technically, they operate outside of terms and conditions, but there, there is a legal implementation. Implementation, I think I've invented a word. There's a legal implication as well. So do, have you had people say, oh, right, I thought GDPR was supposed to stop spam. And what, how do you counter that? What's, what's your reply? Uh, yeah, I get that all the time. Um, <laughs> I hope you wouldn't in a way. But <laughs> yeah, no, I, I do. Um, and, and the answer is, well, yes, GDPR has had a bit of impact or should have an impact on that. But actually, there's another set of laws that set out what you can and can't do. The privacy regulations, privacy electronic communication regulations from 2003 set out what you can do, not only with cookies and, and similar you know, tracking beacons and pixels and things, but it also sets out what you can do with electronic marketing. So that covers phone marketing, email marketing, text marketing, social media, um, and other messaging platform marketing as well. And they determine when you do and don't need consent. Um, when they say, when the, the privacy rules say you need consent, that is now GDPR consent, which is much more tougher because you have to be open and transparent, which you've always had to be. But you have to give the uh, the the um, the individual the ability to give um, a positive indication or an affirmative take affirmative action to actually give you that consent. So GDPR dictates what consent looks like, but actually it's the privacy that rules that set out how um, marketing should work. And and where where there is a lot of challenge is that the privacy rules actually say you don't need consent for business-to-business marketing. Um, there are a few exceptions to that. So sole traders, for example, are treated like consumers. So if you do business-to-business marketing, you don't actually need consent but there are some challenges because there's this perception, as you said, um, that you now can't do anything without having consent. And that means that you end up with people saying to you, but you can't do this anymore. You're breaking the law. I'm going to go and tell on, the, tell on you to the ICO. Um, but in reality, the answer is I can do this. You might not like it, but the law allows me to do it. And that's what I'm doing. As long as you're not breaking the law, it's fine. But there is this misconception, as you say, that you shouldn't be able to send unsolicited marketing messages now. You can't to consumers, but you um, you do uh, you you don't need consent for um, uh, for marketing to businesses. That's interesting to know. I've kind of been treating the whole thing very carefully, but I mean, from from my own perspective, it sounds like I'm defending myself. But from my own perspective, this comes from a place of not not wanting to market to people who have no interest in being marketed to anyway. So. You're bringing a lot of clarity to this, and you just hinted at something which several businesses that I spoke to, again, not clients, several businesses I spoke to um, also 
well, let's just say this was heard in conversation. So, so in Facebook groups and in various other places, businesses so hang out. The attitude was, well, I'm not going to do anything till something has hit the news, till there's been a test case, till someone has been sued, till there's been a big, I was going to say a big breach, which makes it sound as ridiculous as it probably is. Have you come across that kind of attitude? Um, yeah, it sort of comes, I don't know what what drives these kind of conversations, but yeah, I, I, something else that I get quite a lot is um, from, from time to time is, is that well, actually, you know, the, the information commissioner are not doing anything. They're not implementing uh, the, the rules or enforcing them. Um, and even when they do, they, they only do it against great big corporates. And, um, you know, and people say, well, I'm not British Airways or Marriott Hotels, which are two of the recent fines that have been handed out. I'm not Ticketmaster, which is probably the most recent. Um, so it doesn't apply to me. But what they don't realise, and you can get this information by reading the Information Commissioner's report, if you feel that way inclined, um, and that shows that actually they get hundreds of thousands of complaints um, each year, but they don't all end up in enforcement. And the media only report the big-named ones, you know, the media are interested in British Airways, but they were only interested in a small pharmacy that got a £275,000 fine um, which, because they were the first company to get a fine under GDPR, everything up until that point had all been done under old data protection rules. Mm. Um, so, so there is again, uh, you know, a misconception that, well, nobody's bothering me about what I'm doing. It's not ending up in enforcement action. So why do I need to bother about GDPR? It's all a bit of a a bit of red tape that nobody really pays any attention to. Well. That's fine if you want to take that view, but what happens when the ICO rings and they do ring people up? Um, what if they um, drop you an email and say, we're the ICO, we've had a number of complaints that you're doing this with some personal data. We would like you to explain to us why you're doing that um, or what your policy is and can we see a copy of that policy and could we see a, a, an indication of what kind of data is being processed because the law requires you to have a register of processing activities, so let us see it. Well, if they're doing that, it might not lead to enforcement action, which then doesn't get published by them, but also doesn't get picked up by the media. Um, so, uh, yeah, so people think nothing's going on, but actually they deal with tens, hundreds of thousands of complaints every year and, and um, are pretty busy. Um, yes, you can get a, a gist of what they're enforcing by looking at their website, but they do a lot more than that. And, uh, you know, I've worked with organisations who have had to have interactions with the information commissioner that has led to them being told off or just being told, okay, we think you've done all the right things. Um, we're not going to take any further action. Well, you, you know, you wouldn't know about those because they're not reported on the ICO's website and they definitely don't make the media, but that doesn't mean that they're not doing anything. Yeah, it's confusing newsworthiness with reality, I think, isn't mm. it? I think yeah. anyone who assumed that the ICO, the Information Commissioner's Officer, office is a building full of people eating biscuits and sipping tea and staring into the middle distance um probably fooling themselves <laughs> i imagine they're, yes. they're, they're busy like any any government department i mean we we see this kind of thing not just around gdpr but around a lot of legislation the current one being ir35 a lot of businesses are flipping out about hiring um freelancers who then have to prove they work with several other people and if you look for the headlines Sure, you'll find an article in, uh, um, I don't want to name any newspapers, but the more excitable titles, declaring it's the end of the world. 
But these people declared it was the end of the world when the EU rules said a banana had to have a certain curve in it. The reality is, the uh, with IR35 is a good example, that what the government has actually said is, look, we're not going to find people straight off the bat. We want to open a dialogue and make sure everyone's adhering to good practice because ultimately it's it helps the world become a better place. And I think GDPR has kind of proven that over the last couple of years, certainly, certainly in my very limited experience. Um, one other thing I want to just kind of cross off with you, kind of possibly a, a more of a fun thing. I've just said about kind of newspapers being sensational. I'm going to be sensational with you now, Mark. Has, has GDPR led to a culture of ambulance chases, like some people thought it would? Are there people who just look for breaches and make complaints? Um, yes, is a oh. short <laughs> answer to that. <laughs> um, I saw an advert on television the other day saying, um, have you been affected by the British Airways um, website security breach that led to British Airways being fined 20 million? Um, because if you are, we're heading up a class action, which basically means you know you get as many people as possible to to uh, to, to to claim that you have have been harmed or damaged by the uh, the breach, and therefore um, they get money out of British Airways, and it's spread across um, the the uh, people who've come forward as part of the class action. So basically, the law firm represents um, a whole host of different people. That's not unusual in terms of legal practices. They you know that happens in lots of different other areas of law as well. Um, but there's been a couple of incidents of that. Um, I've seen stuff around the Ticketmaster fine. Um, and, uh, yeah, I, in fact, maybe even a couple of years ago, I actually blogged around the uh, sort of the, the, the headline of have you been affected by a data breach in the same way as you see these accident adverts on television saying have you been uh, affected by an industrial injury or something. Um, and the other thing I've also seen, and, and this might just be a coincidental peak, I don't know, but they were within a couple of weeks of each other, were individuals contacting an organisation and saying, you're doing something that you shouldn't be doing, um, so I wish to claim damages. And GDPR does have the ability for somebody to claim civil damages if they can demonstrate harm as being caused by whatever the issue was. Um, and uh, yeah, and and they've received letters, these, these companies received letters saying, well, you've done something you shouldn't be doing. This is a breach of the general data protection regulations. Therefore, um, I have suffered harm and I wish you to pay me, a, you know, a few hundred pounds. Um, if, you know, I, in some ways that might be just a, an easy way of somebody trying to get a quick buck by scaring people who don't know any better um, into uh, coughing up some money. Because um, if you, you know, if you write to 10 companies and say you're doing things you shouldn't be doing, pay me £450, otherwise I go to the information commissioner and they all cough up, that's a, quite an easy way of getting four and a half grand. Um, so, uh, yeah, so, yes, it might have been a fun question, but, uh, yeah, those kind of things are going on. Whether they're, I, th I think the, you know, the class action for um, breaches and, and other issues, and, and there was actually a, a big one relating to, to Morrison's the supermarket, um, where an employee had stolen um, some payroll data. Um, the, the employee is no longer an employee and is now in prison um, because he acted on his behalf. And even though Morrison's were able to demonstrate that they, had um, done everything that they possibly needed to do, and it was this person acting on their behalf, um, you know, on their own, and that they had a legitimate reason to get access to the data that they stole. Um, a load of employees, um, I'm guessing driven by um, a law firm, 
took Morrison's to court and said, well, you have vicarious liability, which basically means even though it wasn't your fault, you've got a responsibility to the to, to your employees and and therefore, um, you know, you need to cough up for, for damages. As it happened, I think it eventually got thrown out of court, but um, it went through about three or four appeals before that happened. So I think we might see a, an increase in those kind of things. And potentially we could see some of these uh, these sort of template-based letters, you know, send this off to your your um, the person you think is infringing data protection, and you might better get a quick five hundred quid. Mm, yeah. So okay. Well, let, let's let's leave that as the thin end of the wedge for now. That that's the kind of the um, I nearly swore then the uh, unpleasantly fecal end of the stick. Um, <laughs> what, what positives can we see in GDPR? How is it how is it a force for for good? I mean, how can businesses use it? to move forward with positivity as an opportunity i think the organizations that embrace it as a as a as sort of a cultural approach to doing business and being you know good business practitioners um you know always will see that it is is an added advantage and it's easy to look at regulation and I, you know i've had a career in regulatory compliance so it was always something that was quite obvious that you know is seen as an expense or an unnecessary cost in some instances um, so there will always be businesses who don't necessarily um, see it as an, an opportunity. But actually, if you can push yourself as saying, well, we've got a culture of making sure our employees understand what they can and can't do. We won't misuse your data. We will always treat it in a particular way. We've got all of these other things in place. And it ties in with things around cybersecurity, like ISO 27001, information security standards, cyber essentials as well around the protection of systems and business and, and data, um, then I think as that becomes more of a, a, you know, a cultural change, people will become, I mean, I think even because of the Facebook Cambridge Analytica scandal from a, a, um, over a year ago, um, sort of brought to the attention of consumers that actually their data is being misused in one way or another. And how do you trust those uh, individual organisations? Now, I don't think that particularly led to people leaving Facebook in droves, but generally speaking, businesses can differentiate themselves from the competition by saying, look, hey, we do this, we do it right because we've got all of this in place. And if you can shout about those kind of things, then that's got to be a, a positive. And even, even in a business-to-business -business transactional sense, there are obligations if you're a data controller versus a data processor that you have to make sure are in place between you as the controller and the processor. Well, why doesn't the processor say, you don't need to worry about this, Mr. Controller, because I've got a statement that sets out all the answers to all your questions that you could possibly have about our GDPR compliance. And we've got a contract that you can sign that adopts everything to allow us to process your data outside the European economic area and so forth. Um, so, uh, yeah, I think... Um, I think, and I've seen the, the term used a few times, culture in, in business in general is a good thing. Um, but I think data protection culture, which is say a culture of data protection within organisations, has got to be a good thing as well. Um, and it does, for those who take the responsibility seriously, it means that their users, their customers, whoever it is, that they're, the data that they're processing, and you know, believe that they, they're doing the right thing and, and they have a strong ethical position. Which has got to stand for something. That's, that's an, an incredible positive, and it brings it back round to what I'm supposed to talk about in this uh, podcast, which is marketing. It's 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 a good sign of well showing rather than just telling people that you do take take care of the world. I mean, it's corporate responsibility is 
is so important. I mean, it always has been, but you know, it's become a marketing tool in the last, certainly the last 10 years. And GDPR is an opportunity to, to harness positive change for good for your business. And I, you, you just spoke to an angle of GDPR I hadn't previously considered. It's an increase in efficiency whilst we're dealing with, with other companies and dealing with organizations. You can say, look, we're all we're all meeting the same standard here, so we haven't got to have this conversation. Here, here's our proof. You know, there's your proof. Let's just get on with actually doing positive things and and doing good good business. And GDPR is a positive facilitator of that, in my opinion. <laughs> yeah, no, I agree. Yeah, totally. Brilliant, Mark. This has been absolutely fascinating. So obviously, I want to encourage people to come and speak to you with their questions. Where can people find out more about Mark Gracie and his GDPR services? Uh, well, um, best place to go is markgracygdpr.co.uk um, or ping me an email at hello at markgracygdpr.co.uk um, and I can be found on LinkedIn as well. Brilliant. I'll include a link to your LinkedIn and your, your website in the show notes. And thanks once again for, for speaking to me. This has been really, really interesting. It's one of a lot of a lot of topics around running a business that I think people still shy away from, but you've helped show that it's not only accessible and plausible to be GDPR compliant, it's also a very positive thing that can help move your business forward in a very good way. So, Mark, we're all about positivity, so I appreciate your input on that. Thank you very much for your time. Yeah, thank you. Thank you, Andrew, for having me along.